Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, and actually let me start with a phone call that we've just received in in the last few minutes from a passenger who's sitting on the 234 bus to Canturk and he phoned in to say that the bus has been held up because there's roadworks going on on the Park Road in Mallow and he asked us to give a shout out because there'll be people in Canturk waiting to get on that bus wondering why the bus is late just to let people... Uh, no. And he also says the uh, 51 to Cork City is held up in the same road work. So have patience if you're waiting on some buses, that, uh, particularly any of those buses that have to travel through the Park Road uh, in Mallow. The Rose of Trilly back on stage last night. Of course, a little bit of history was made last night because uh, Catherine Thomas joined Dahi O'Shea on stage and that is the first time in the history of the Rose of Tralee now in its 64th year. It's incredible success isn't it that the show has actually been co-hosted. Now you know Catherine Thomas herself said that a lot of people would be tuning in last night just to see how is this all going to work out even the people who may not be fans of the Rose of Tralee would have had a look in to see how would Catherine get on with Dahi O'Shea and I have to say I watched it and uh, I thought it worked extremely well. It they sort of went seam, seam, seamlessly from one host to the next host and it all seemed to work very well and I thought Catherine Thomas I mean we know Catherine well from various other TV um, work that she's done and she is a natural on stage and I'm really looking forward to later on in the programme actually because I'm going to be talking to our Cork Rose uh, Kate Chalkensee who had that unenviable task of being the first Rose on stage and she also was the first to be interviewed by uh, Catherine Thomas it came across like both of them were very much at ease. So I'm interested to hear from Kate. Did she feel that that Catherine helped to put her at ease? Because Dahi is known for that. Dahi is known for making people feel relaxed. But I think Catherine has that kind of a knack and that kind of a skill as well. And didn't our Kate Chockensy do well? I thought for the first one up on stage, she did remarkably well. So if you watched it last night, your thoughts. Now, I have to say, I didn't stay with it to the bitter end way too late <laughs> for, for my bed uh, time. But I certainly watched Kate and watched uh, probably the first hour uh, of it. I was also impressed with that young Limerick Rose, uh, Molly Ann O'Halloran. Uh, she's the young woman who uh, who has um, Asperger's syndrome, so she's on the autism spectrum. So, uh, and anyone who is on the, the autism spectrum will know doing something like that, going out in public like that, that was a really, really brave thing. And again, I thought she did remarkably uh, well. So there's another night of it. I mean, there were some people who would rather stick pins in their eyes than watch the Rose of Trilly. It's one of those, it's like Marmite. You either love it or you hate it. There's a cohort. It gets great viewing figures. So there are a lot of people in this country who absolutely adore it. But there's a cohort of it who don't like it at all and think it's um, it's old fashioned. It's long gone past its uh, sell by date and 
And and I don't know how the younger generation view it, even though when you look at it, it's all young roses are on stage and they're all very excited uh, to be on stage. So your thoughts on if you watched it last night, how do you think it went and are you a fan or not? 0818 103 103. And I came across this at the weekend and I couldn't believe it. And I and then I needed to get confirmation that it was true. It was to do with a story that I mentioned last week that we got a lot of reaction to. And this is to do with the antisocial behaviour and the violence and the crime that's been experienced on the streets of Dublin and in particular the city centre. You know, with a lot of people saying that they wouldn't go out at night, the certain parts of you know, evening time even, where people feel unsafe in in the middle of Dublin City. You know, I know the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, keeps rowing back from that and saying, you know, she lives and works in Dublin and she thinks it's a very safe uh, city. And she did that famous walk about showing how safe she felt the city was, except as everybody pointed out, she had two members of Angarda Siakona with her. And I think we'd all walk around the street of any city with two members of Angarda Siakona with us. And then she had to accept that they needed more Gardaí on the beach. So she gave the extra 10 million in overtime just for that city centre uh, area to try to get more Gardaí on the beach. And last week we were talking yet again about more tourists who had been targeted. And in particular, it was three young men who were over for a football match Friday night, last Friday night week, I think it was. And uh, three of them were were viciously assaulted again by a group of young uh, teenagers. And one in particular, while he was on the ground, was mugged and his wallet was taken. And of course, a 17 year old boy was charged because he took the wallet stole the money out of it and then went into a centre shop to try to use tap and go on the card that was in the wallet. And of course, that all got picked up on CCTV. So there was a lot of evidence against that particular teenager. I think he's been the only teenager who's been charged with regard to those three young lads ending up in hospital. But we mentioned it last week because it was actually this day last week because last Monday week he had appeared in the children's court and he was in the children's court uh, charged with the robbery in particular um, and when he came into court he had his mother with him and he was sobbing and crying the whole way uh, through it and in the end the judge did grant him bail because at that stage the Gardaí didn't know if they if it was going to be back before the children's court or whether they were going to move it up onto a higher court because by moving it to a higher court and it would be up to the DPP the sentence would be a longer and that's going to take a longer period of time so the judge took sympathy on him and there he was, you know, weeping and crying and oh my God, it was dreadful and he had never been in trouble before and all of that. Now we had a kind of a mixed reaction because he got out on bail and we had a mixed reaction with people saying that guy should be just locked up until the next uh, court case and people weren't happy with the fact that it, it felt like he just got a slap on the back of the wrist and away off you go. Lo and behold, that happened on Monday of last week. That young fellow was back in the courts again because he was charged with robbing a, a young a young teenage boy of his runners, which were worth 120 euro, his earphones, which were worth 110 euro. And he did that in Temple Bar 
on the following Thursday. So he was in court on the Monday and part of his bail conditions was that he would stay out of the Temple Bar area and the surrounding Dublin 2 area. And lo and behold, there he was on the Thursday in mugging this young fella, taking his runners, uh, his and his ear phones uh, from him. What a little rat bag. Anyway, he was back in court on Saturday last where he's been denied bail. I wonder why. Um, and that was following the Garda objections and now he's been re- and he was remanded back before the Children's Court yesterday and it was Judge Joanne Carroll noted that the teen was held in Oberstown Detention Campus and he couldn't come to court uh, and he couldn't appear between video link yesterday on medical grounds. I don't know what the medical grounds were. So she's remanded him again to stay in Obertstown. He can't be identified because he's only 17 but she's remanded him in continuing custody in his absence and he'll be back before the courts again in two weeks' time. But I just, I saw somebody put it up on social media the weekend and I couldn't believe it. I said it can't be the same young fella who was crying and wailing and, you know, didn't want to be locked up and oh my God and his mother was there to, you know, standing by him saying, you know, she'll keep him out of trouble. That happened on the Monday and then on the Thursday he gets done for for, for that on, on, a, on, a, on a, a dub, another, dub, I'm assuming a young Dublin lad going about his own business in Temple Bar and getting set upon by this pup with other words I could use but I'm not allowed to use them on air. 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103 with any possible suggestions how do we stop those and it does seem to be young lads and lassies the under 18s who, who seem to know the system so well they know they'll go before the children's courts they know they'll be out on bail and then if they even do get prosecuted they, you know, they know they're not going to go to jail, they're not going to be locked up. How do we stop it? Do we need stricter sentences? Your thoughts welcome. We have a big, big competition coming your way, kicking off next week. Ireland versus South Africa, that's the match that's going to be on in the Stade de France in Paris on the 23rd of September and we want to send you and a friend to support Ireland on the world stage. We've got return flights, three nights accommodation in uh, Paris and also obviously very special uh, tickets to get you into the match. They're gold category match tickets so that means they come with hospitality and you can find out how you can win what is described as the ultimate rugby experience and you can listen in next Monday morning and we need you to listen in with uh, Ken Tobin on uh, Cork's Big Breakfast at 8.15 on Monday morning and Ken will have all the details on how you can win that ultimate rugby experience. experience. Now, some of your thoughts on the Rose of Tralee. Hi, Patricia. Rose of Tralee, thought it was lovely last night. In particular, my favourite after last night, says this listener, was the London Rose. And by the way, says this texter, I would prefer Dahi O'Shea to be presenting the show on his own. It's, it's funny, it's all down to individual taste. Kathleen, in, thank you for that. Kathleen Lambandon said, thought the show was excellent last night. Really enjoyed it. Something Irish and something to watch on an August evening. I found Catherine Thomas to be a great addition to the show. Mandy in McCroom loved it last night, said it was great entertainment. I don't know why people complain about it. Thought the, both the hosts were great. I find Dahi O'Shea very natural, very funny. Uh, and Mandy makes the point that Dahi O'Shea is really in tune with the rural audience. And Mandy feels that's missing from a lot of TV today. And Sean in Mallow also watched it and he not- noted with great interest, did anybody else spot this, the amount of 
of TV licence ads that were shown in the ad breaks during the Rose of Trilly last night. Look out for them tonight now. And now Sean says, I don't mind paying a TV licence that would fund the Irish language. So when I saw part of the ad, including things like Radio Naguiltakta and TG Car, I was like, OK. But then I saw them advertising that money from the licence goes towards funding 2FM. And I said, no, enough is uh, enough. But I really felt that they were trying to hit the message home to viewers last night. And I suppose kind of saying, look, this is public service broadcasting, televising the Rose of Tralee. This is where some of your licence free money goes. I'm, I'm assuming that that's what they were trying to get into the psyche of people. But I can't say I noticed that now last night. I probably wasn't paying much attention to the ads, but I will keep a lookout for it uh, tonight, Sean. Thank you for that. And Vera in Bishopstown says um, that she agrees with me that she loved the Limerick Rose on stage. Uh, yeah, and I just thought the fact that they, the, the young woman admitted that she'd Asperger's, I just thought, God, you're that's tough what you're doing on stage. I thought she came across uh, so well. And great for other people watching that with Asperger's or family members who might have a recent diagnosis. Gives them a great sense of, look, you can achieve anything. When you set your mind to it, you can achieve uh, anything. So uh, Vera liked the Limit Rose. She thought they were all very entertaining, great speakers. And she thinks it should be kept on uh, TV. And I suppose that will be very much up to somebody the likes of Kevin Backhurst, won't it? If he decides he's going to cut back. I don't know how much the Rose truly costs, but I'm, assure, I'm assuming that it is costly for RTE. <laughs> Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. An independent uh, TD is calling on the government to speed up its rollout of the National Broadband Plan, which, remember, was introduced over four years ago. To discuss how it's getting on, Galway Independent TD Deputy Sean Canney joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning. And uh, thank you for taking our call. Now, we're, we're, we're over halfway through this seven-year plan. Can you just give us the figures? What percentage of homes has been covered at this stage? Well, at this stage, uh, from figures I got, I think it's something like 27% of the homes, the 516,000 that was targeted to be done, have been passed, we call passed by fibre optic broadband, which is behind what you would expect over halfway through uh, bearing in mind that the original uh, idea was that the bulk of the houses would be passed in the first five years. So we've gone four years through the process, um, taken into account and granted that COVID... COVID, yeah. COVID would have have stalled... It it disrupted the the progress and it would have stalled and taken that into account. That is fine. It's not that uh, one would be blaming anybody for the fact that we're behind. But I do believe that at this stage... As a result of COVID, we've had a huge amount of demand for remote working. Uh, It has proven to be a success. And I think it's important that we now, I suppose, take stock of where we're at with the the rollout and see how we can escalate uh, the rollout uh, over the next two years to try and achieve um, as many houses as we can. Uh, And what has happened in the meantime is that even since the decision was made on the broadband uh, 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 contract is that the uh, importance of having proper broadband has become more relevant in people's lives, in young people's lives who are studying at school, in in, 
people going to college, people for work. And, and nowadays, everything needs to be done online. But you can't do it online if you don't have decent broadband. broadband. And, you know, I, I think you make a really, really valid point. And while we can point to COVID and say, look, that's one of the reasons uh, why we're, you know, we're only at 27%. But when you think back four years ago, when they initially rolled out this plan, it was a very different landscape. I mean, people are doing remote working today, Sean, who four years ago would never even have considered remote working. Absolutely. I remember at the time I was in government and I was I was part of the process. I worked with Richard Bruton in that department when, when the contract was signed and uh, I was very, as a rural TD, I was delighted to see it happening. And it, it is very good news for, for Ireland. But that time, remote working was something that was talked about uh, um, intermittently uh, because uh, th- there were some, some cases where people were looking at having remote working uh, for certain companies, they had people working from home, uh, and it was something that was actually um, it, it, it was in the in the minority. But when COVID came, it transformed how we work. Um, public bodies were able to work from home, um, all of this type of thing, um, and and a lot more people have looked at this, and and the employers are now saying, well, maybe we can have people working at home two days a week, three days a week. Uh, there's a better quality of life, there's less cars on the road, all of the go- goes with all of that. And I think it's very high on the agenda. And that's why I be- do believe that at this stage, we need to take stock of where we're at. No, COVID is this or COVID is that. What we have to do is take this potential that still is there and try and escalate the, the rollout. Yeah. So because the they, because we, I mean, that target of 96% of um, that over half a million homes by 2026. Yeah. I mean, if we keep going at the pace we're going, that certainly is not going to be reached. It's not, no. And that's why I think, you know, we're, we're, we're four years into it. And I think we're, we're gone past the stage where we can say, oh, COVID did this and COVID did that. I think what we, we need to do is for government to sit down with the the NBI who are delivering the project and to say, where can we uh, speed up the process? Uh, is it a case of having more people out on the out on the ground uh, surveying where we're putting it? Are we, uh, should we be fast-tracking the rollout of the exchanges that are needed and all of this kind of thing? And I think we just have to step it up a gear because we need to transform what is a great, great contract and a great uh, service for the country into reality for a lot of people. Will it need an investment of more money, Sean? I don't think so. I think it's a question of of how we can actually... uh, I worked in the construction industry and you'd have a programme to carry out work and if if something went wrong with the programme, you adjusted it and you found ways of actually still trying to deliver your project on time or within within a reasonable uh, time frame thereafter rather than just using the same pace all the time and not adjusting uh, your your emphasis on what you're doing. And I think that's that's really what's needed is just to sit down and say, right, okay, how can we actually uh, expedite some areas of this so that we can actually increase the numbers when we're passing with with the fibre broadband. And I think that's, that's what it takes. And I think it may take uh, some project management skills to sit down with the NBI and say, right, okay, where, we, where are we at? Where are we falling behind? How can we improve on this? 
and just uh, put a new plan in place, mm. a new program in place. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Um, and, and and also, do you, do you think? I mean, we're talking about rural areas uh, and people living in rural Ireland. And do you think it's very unfair on the people of rural Ireland? They've already waited. To me, in some areas, far too long for decent broadband. Uh, absolutely, I live in an area myself where where I'm lucky that I'm getting a satellite from from a hill about. Uh, 15 miles away from me it just so happens the beam is, is working for me it works very well most of the time but it's not it's not reliable um, I was in a, a situation um, there lately where I was dealing with fibre optic broadband and the speed of it was, was unreal so like uh, I felt I felt at home I was in a third world country in terms of, of, of the digital world but there's also places which are not rural that were in towns that were in villages who don't have it either. So They're black spots, yeah. Absolutely. And I think what has happened is that um, we, the uh, private operators cherry-picked what was easy for them to do. They did that. And I have cases where people are, can see a pole where the fibre is on the pole and they're just up the road another 50 metres and they can't get access uh. to it because they're told that they're in the intervention area. And this is the frustration part about it. And you have people, businesses out in the country, you have farmers, all of this. They're all depending on online um, communication, online business at the moment. And they're being, uh, I suppose, pushed to do everything online, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what it is. So I think we need to provide the service. I think the NBI uh, contract will provide that. The question is to speed it up a bit more. Okay. Okay. Let's uh, let's uh, hope that uh, he doesn't fall on deaf ears. You'll be listening to, uh, to Sean because we've a lot of people uh, here in Cork who are desperately waiting for the rollout of uh, of broadband. Uh, Sean, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. No problem. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Galway Independent uh, TD Sean uh, Canny. You know we are well over halfway through that seven-year plan, and at only twenty-seven percent. And he's right. We we can allow that some of it was because of uh, COVID, but I think too many things now. The excuse that is used almost, oh, it's all because of COVID, it's all because of COVID. We're out of COVID. Well, I know COVID is still there, but we're out of all of the restrictions. They need to be moving along and really pressing forward to get that uh, broadband, national broadband uh, rolled out. 0818-103-103 on something completely different. John in Inchigida has sent in a text this morning, said, Hi Patricia, um, I'm hoping you can clarify. Who is... It's who is the responsibility to maintain overgrown hedgerows. My truck business has me travelling several back roads, uh, particularly between Inchigila and the Bantry line and some roads between Money Lee and Cool Mountain are so dangerous to drive, walk or cycle. I actually fear every time I have to drive it that an accident will happen as I literally can't see around the bends. Hope you can help me. That's John in Inchigila. Well, of course, we know we're in the middle of the season where you can't cut the hedges, but if it is a road safety issue and it can be proven it's a road safety issue then the roads can be cut. And certainly if you're talking about you go around a bend and because the hedgerows are so overgrown you can't see, that to me is a road safety uh, issue. What we normally say to people, uh, John, is get onto your local council, particularly that stretch of road, the kind of detail you've given me there. If you give that detail to the local council and say, look, there's a problem on this particular road, hedgerows need to be uh, cut back, then what normally happens is the council will get 
on to the landowner uh, to make sure that they uh, do it. The landowners are kind of very much feel that their hands are tied. They're afraid to get out and cut hedges in case they're prosecuted for doing it. But obviously, if the council intervene and tell them that they have to do it, then it will be done. Animal welfare groups have welcomed tougher restrictions being introduced to clamp down on ear cropping of dogs, which obviously is seen as a barbaric practice. To discuss the new laws, which will come into effect next month, I'm joined by Karina Fitzsimons, who is with Dogs Trust. Good morning to you, Karina. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, firstly, can you just explain to us what is ear cropping and why is it done? It's pretty horrific, to be honest. Um, it generally involves untrained people using blades, like Stanley knives, they're just little blades, and they generally cut through a dog, the cartilage on their ear, with no anaesthesia when the dogs are quite young. And there's a misconception that when puppies are very young, they don't feel pain, which is completely untrue. And it can actually traumatise the dog, end up in chronic lifelong pain, and it can also give them behavioural issues as well, unfortunately. And the only reason that it's done um, is, is uh, like it can, say for example, a dog has a lump on its ear, a cancerous lump, it can be removed by a vet. That's obviously a veterinary reason. But ear cropping itself is done for aesthetics purely for cosmetic reasons because people think the dog looks more intimidating if they have their the floppy bits of their ears chopped off. Who wants a dog to look more intimidating? Unfortunately, some people do. Um, it The dogs are often shown... Um, some people just want to have a dog that, that they feel intimidates others or they want it to look a particular way. And to be honest, dog lovers love dogs as they are, as they're born. You know, we, we don't go removing pieces of dogs because we want them to look a certain way. It's, it's totally and utterly unethical. Is it particular breeds of dogs we're talking about? Unfortunately, yes. But especially in Ireland, it appears to be the, the bully breeds, XL um, bullies, and uh, some some types of pit bulls as well. And this practice would never be performed by a vet? Not for cosmetic reasons, absolutely not, no, ever. Um, vets don't do procedures on animals for cosmetic reasons. The only time vets would ever um, remove part of a dog's ear or the tail, for example, would be for an injury or if there was, you know, a cancerous growth or a lump yeah. or something like that. It, yeah. it would, vets would never do this to a dog. I, I had Surely a, for what they look like. I had a little white cat years ago and the top of his ear had to yeah. be removed. But it was all done, obviously, under general anaesthetic uh, and it healed up perfectly. Um, and he looked slightly <laughs> slightly funny after the procedure. But he was fine. He was fine. And lived on to a sure ripe old age. Has this always been an illegal practice? It's been illegal since the Animal Health and Welfare Act came into effect in 2013. Okay. So it wasn't something that was commonly seen in Ireland years ago and it's the last five years have seen a massive increase. The RSPCA in the UK reported a 230%, a 236% increase in the number of reports of air cropping they've seen in the last five years. So it's something that has become, for certain people, a desired look in these dogs um, and therefore they, they're undergoing this mutilation to, to have these dogs. And a loophole in the current legislation was dogs could be imported from countries where this practice isn't banned into Ireland. So we have been told anecdotally that people were paying thousands of euro for puppies who were bred in Ireland, but they were implanted with chips from outside the EU. And then if that person was stopped and asked, 
where did you get this dog? They said, oh, look, the dog's not from Ireland. Scan it's chip. It's from a different country. And that's why this particular law is now saying that from whenever it's enacted, if you were in possession of a dog with ears that have been mutilated like this, you will be responsible. Now, for people who already have dogs like this, and again, we, we can't judge because they may have adopted the dog. They may not have wanted the dog to look like this. You know, there's so many yeah, different reasons yeah. that people have one of these dogs. So, but for anyone who is listening whose dog has cropped ears at the moment, if you are already, already in possession of that dog, this won't apply to you. It's from whenever it's an act okay. onwards. And we really hope there, the resources are made available to enforce this because we, we don't want to see this happening to dogs. It's very, very unfair on them. And you can imagine if you had sore ears, the last thing you would want is a hand go near your ear. So you can imagine for those dogs that they may not even want, you know, people petting them or that the wind and the rain gets in there. You can get foreign bodies in there as well. It's, and for some dogs, if it's done and, you know, it's basically because they have their ears hacked, they can constantly have sore ears and that can't be fixed. So, you know, you, you could be creating a dog who is in lifelong pain. Yeah, and then somebody will wonder why that dog snaps at somebody. Exactly, because that is one of the biggest um, causes of incidents like that is fear or pain. And if you are creating lots of dogs who potentially can be in chronic pain the whole time, well then, yeah, absolutely. And then from your point of view with Dogs Trust and the fantastic work that you do with rehoming dogs, mm-hmm. if, if a dog looks more intimidating and then ends up in your care, does it make it harder to rehome a dog that looks like that? It does. It really does. We have four dogs in our care at the moment who've had their ears mutilated and two in particular I would know quite well and they're absolute teddy bears. But we have unfortunately been told by a few potential adopters that they've loved the dogs. You know, they've met them and thought they were amazing, but they just, because of the way they look, they wouldn't feel comfortable walking down the road with them. And they would fear that people would A, think that they had done that or B, think the dog was going to do something to them. And... so unfortunately, those dogs are still with us and we are really hoping to get them home soon. And we actually used some um, technology on the computer and we added their ears back on so we could see what the dog would look like if their ears had not been taken off. Yeah. And the difference, the difference ah. is just unbelievable. Oh, it really is unbelievable because they look so serious Yeah, because they're not able to express themselves, you know, with their floppy ears like they, they would be if they were there. So it really does, unfortunately, put a lot of people off. That's heartbreaking. It really, really is um, uh, heartbreaking. And uh, d- d- there were, at one stage, there was a massive practice of cutting the tails off, um, yeah. do- especially little Jack Russells, like yeah. a tail docking. That, mm-hmm. th- that's gone completely, is it? That is illegal for cosmetic purposes. Okay. So if, for example, somebody had a dog and they got their tail trapped in the door, which unfortunately happened, you know, by accident, um, a vet can, if need be, if the injury was severe enough to, you know, if a portion of the tail needed to be removed, again, if there was a cancerous lump or, you know, different types of injuries, um, but not based on appearance or for cosmetic reasons, no. And again, because that that was not done under veterinary supervision, a lot of it. A lot of it was not. And I, when I worked as a veterinary nurse years ago, um, a client came in and had a boxer puppy. He was going to, like, he was breeding boxer puppies and wanted to crop their tails. And we said, sorry, you know, we don't do that. But I showed him a video of a friend I had in the UK with a boxer with a long tail playing. And when he saw the video, he said, God, I've never seen them with long tails because they weren't actually that common. And he said it really adds to their personality. Their tail is a whole kind of expression. And he decided not to to do it. 
Yeah, you see now it's common, you know, to see Rottweilers and boxers with long tails, and it just it just adds to their personality. It really does. Yeah, and uh, you know, dogs are are born with tails uh, for a reason. Just on the whole um, adoption and trying to find the forever home, uh, Karina. And I've spoken with you many, many times over the last few years about how busy you've been. How are you doing at the moment? We're all inundated with with surrender requests at the moment, just because of the housing crisis, rental crisis, cost of living crisis. It's it's very overwhelming. We've had over two thousand three hundred requests to take in dogs so far this year, and obviously we only have limited space. So we would really, really love foster homes, especially in the Cork area, because we rehome dogs all around the country. So if you go onto our website, dogstrust.ie, we'll be absolutely delighted. That must be heartbreaking for somebody who is faced with trying to find a new place to live and then to have to surrender a much-loved pet. It, it really is. And I know sometimes people say, oh, it, you know, I'd sleep in a tent rather than, you know, surrender my dog. But there are people with children. You can't. Yeah. They, they spent ages finding this home. They asked permission to get a dog. They were given permission. And then maybe the person selling up or, you know, there's, there's so many extenuating circumstances and the majority of people who contact us don't want to have to do this but often people are faced with these awful choices Yeah, and unfortunately we don't have the space to help every dog Okay, so if there's anybody in Cork that can act as uh, a foster home or indeed you're looking for a dog to give a forever home to, uh, get on to Dogs Trust. Karina, as always, pleasure to speak with you and continue good luck with the great work that all you guys do at Dogs Trust but thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Karina Fitzsimons of uh, Dogs Trust. 0818103103. Just a couple of texts I want to update on. I mentioned about that 17-year-old boy who had been in court last week sobbing and wailing. Um, he was being accused of robbing those young uh, tourists uh, tourist from England that were over and he was allowed out on bail. But part of his bail conditions was he was told, you don't go into Temple Bar or any of the surrounding Dublin Tua area. That was on Monday. Lo and behold, he was back in court on Saturday because on the Thursday he was charged with robbing a teenager of 120 euro runners and ear headphones worth 100 euro. And that was on the Thursday after being in court wailing on the Monday. Somebody says, Patricia, um, if they're big enough to commit a crime, then they're big enough to do the time. We have to change the law in this in this country for young people. They don't seem to care anymore. It's because the under because of the underage system, they're out of control. Then by the time they reach eighteen, if they are getting away uh, with uh, things, so we need to review how the judicial system works when it comes to underage eighteen. But then Aoife has a very different slant on this story. And thank you for your. WhatsApp, uh, Eva. Eva says, Patricia, I understand there's victims here, but if that boy was sobbing and crying all the way throughout the hearing last week with his mother when he was in court, it sounds to me like he was showing real remorse for his actions. I can't help but think, but maybe this boy is being bullied. Maybe this boy is being manipulated by somebody else. It's just a thought that springs to mind. We don't know what his story is. And even though I know that there are victims as a result of his actions and crimes. We really don't know his full story. I find it hard to believe that he could be that cruel and still then get upset and cry throughout the court when he's found in trouble. Scots don't usually cry, says Aoife. They'd be in court acting all brave. And that's, uh, yeah, that's a really good 
compassionate way of looking at it Aoife would others see it like that that he was in court and when he was and he cried the whole way through the court and was sobbing was that him showing genuine uh, remorse and therefore is there a bigger picture here and could he be in some way being manipulated by maybe another gang uh, a listener reacting to Aoife who felt that that 17 year old boy who was in court last week um, uh, sobbing and crying uh, um, with his mother when he was in court when he was being tra- when he was being brought up for uh, being involved in the robbery and assault on the three English tourists and Aoife thought that you know the fact that he was sobbing and crying in court surely showed that real remorse for his action and she's wondering you know is there something else going on that he was back out again on the streets committing more crime within a few days. A listener says ask Aoife has she ever heard of crocodile tears? So uh, there's a listener who doesn't believe that his tears in court were genuine remorse they were crocodile tears two very different views. John and Inchigila was on to us earlier and I've just spotted a WhatsApp in. Bit of good news for John. John and Inchigila was on uh, saying, is there anything that could be done about a particular stretch of road in West Cork? It's the road between Inchigila and the Bantry Line. The truck business that John works for has him going down through many back roads and he just said of late it's the overgrown hedgerows are making it almost impossible and dangerous driving conditions and you know he cited in his text about coming around bends and you're literally taking you're you're, you're holding your breath I'd say going around the bend because you can't actually see because the hedgerows are so overgrown well Councillor Declan Hurley was listening to me this morning and he's been on to say he sympathises with John the truck driver from Inchigila and uh, Councillor Declan Hurley says I happened to drive that particular stretch of road and oh my God, I was shocked to see the state of the hedgerows. I've requested the council to carry out safety measures to ensure safety of road users and also to liaise with landowners in advance of the upcoming hedge cutting season. So the council now are aware of that stretch of road and the hedge cutting season. It comes in on the 1st of September doesn't it? So it's only a very short period away from that. So uh, please God something will be done there sooner rather than later and that the landowners will move in pretty quickly and uh, sort it out. But John in Inchigila certainly wasn't exaggerating in what he said to us this morning because this is a Declan Hurley was on that road only recently and was really taken aback about the condition of it. So as I say some hopefully some good news for John in Inchigila. Still getting in text about the Rose of Chile. We had night number one last night reminding you we will be talking with the Cork Rose later on in this hour. Some of your thoughts Hi Patricia, I thought Catherine Thomas was awful last night. Isn't it, isn't it funny how I watched her and thought she was great? Anyway, Eileen said, she was talking to a rose that deals with people who suffer from sleep disorders and snoring and sleep apnea yeah, and things like that. And now I didn't see this particular rose, but according to Eileen, Catherine Thomas started to offer advice on the best thing for snoring. And Eileen said, Catherine Thomas said, the best thing for snoring is to put a pillow over the head and smother the person. Um, Eileen didn't like that comment. She said she was also talking to the escorts before the results were called out and actually told the fellow who won the best escort and the favourite escort that he had won, said Eileen, and she didn't like that either. And then someone else says, no, 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 get rid of Catherine Thomas. It's a wage that RTE can save themselves. Dahi O'Shea is brilliant on his own. He always has great crack with the parents and the family members, etc. There's absolutely no need for another presenter. 
and that's from Catherine. Catherine Thomas's namesake. And a Mitchestown listener says, I thought the roses were absolutely lovely and natural last night. And the other thing that this Mitchestown listener noticed was that they weren't all skinny Lizzie's. And she also, or he or she also noticed many of them didn't have a lot of makeup. They weren't caked with makeup. Now, they would have had makeup on, obviously, because they were on TV, but they went for a very natural look with the makeup. Uh, Mr. Solicitor says some of them looked so casual and so beautiful, and, uh, and all of them had a talent. Best year yet, I would say. Thank you for reading out my text. Well, thank you for sending your text. Now, here's a text that kind of mm, made me stop in my tracks because I was planning on making mentioning something about that case that I've been following for the last while, but followed with great interest yesterday because it was back in the courts in the UK. And this is the case of the serial killer nurse, Lucy uh, Letby. And of course, yesterday she was jailed for life without uh, parole. But Pat has contacted the programme about that Lucy Letby's case and says, the one thing I would like to say about that case yesterday, the judge uh, in this case, uh, surely can't be right in the head. The way he spoke about that poor creature, that poor creature being Lucy Letby. Yes, she may be guilty of murdering those babies, but surely it is guilty but insane. Now, Pat, when your text came in, I had to stop and think because, I, as I say, I followed the case and, and I read a lot about it again this morning on the papers. And at no stage, even in her defence, was that ever put forward that she was suffering from some mental uh, disorder. Now, you'd have to think that anyone could do what she did is is an act of insanity. But you'd also have to stop and think, are, are there actually just evil people in this world. I mean, you look at her, she looked all sweetness and light, she looked very innocent. But when you go down through the cases and what has happened and the amount of babies that had died and the amount of babies who she attempted to murder, I sort of look at her and rather insanity, all I can see is evil. But maybe that's just me. You're you're looking at it differently and you see it as somebody who is guilty, but guilty, guilty, but insane. I welcome uh, thoughts and comments from other listeners on that. Would you agree with Pat that the judge perhaps was wrong? OK, right in finding her guilty, but should have been guilty, but in, insane. And uh, she'll go down now in history as the worst mass murderer of children in British history. And of course, as we heard yesterday, she got this whole life sentence. I don't know if we have a similar sentence here or not. It means she will spend the rest of her life behind bars. She will have no chance of parole. So she will die behind uh, bars. And she's only 33, so she could have a long, long life in uh, jail. She was a former nurse on the neonatal unit in the Chester hospital and she was found guilty of seven murders and six attempted murders of babies who were all in the uh, unit. Now she was convicted last month, it was just the the sentencing date was uh, yesterday. Lucy Letby who did of course maintain her innocence throughout the 10 month trial. She then refused to appear in court yesterday and of course by refusing to appear in court yesterday she didn't get to hear her sentence or she didn't get to face the victims when they did their victim impact uh, statements. And of course, many of the families who spoke yesterday branded her a coward for not standing in front of them as they spoke directly to her 
to say what she had done to their families. And because of that, actually, I saw the British Prime Minister, um, uh, Rishi Sunak, he's saying the government are now examining a legal change which would force criminals that they would have to appear for sentencing after she uh, refused to leave her holding cell yesterday. The government, of course, are also ordering an independent inquiry into the circumstances of her killing spree because doctors at the hospital claimed some of the murdered babies could have been saved if their warnings, they were already suspicious about the number of babies who were dying under her care and they had given warnings to the management of the hospital but they weren't heeded by the management and I think for the families whose babies died in the latter months they'd have to live with that knowing that people had suspicions and nothing was done and that maybe their children could be alive uh, today. So she was found guilty last month of seven newborn newborn and premature babies in her care and that she was also found guilty of trying to kill six others and it was in a year-long spree. I think it went on for about 18 months. It was from the summer of 2015 and it went on into 2016. She was found not guilty of two further attempted murders while there was no verdict reached in at least another six uh, cases. Uh, soon after babies started dying in her care, doctors at the Countess of Chester Hospital took their concerns over Lucy Letby to management, but the management initially took her side. Doctors then eventually brought their concerns to the police and that's actually what started the ball rolling and then she was arrested uh, in 2018. The 33-year-old has now become the fourth female serial killer in British history to receive a whole-of-life sentence and other names are names we know and will always remember. So I'm assuming we'll always remember Lucy Letby's uh, name. For example, names like the Moors murderer Myra Hendley, uh, Rosemary West, she was the wife of the serial killer Fred West and then Joanna Dennehy, she killed three men back in uh, 2013. But what was heartbreaking yesterday and I did feel for the families when she refused to come before the courts. Now, even though they'd all been sitting in court watching her for the for the 10 months that it went on. But, you know, their victim impact statements, that's their last chance, I think, to speak out on behalf of their children. And we've seen that countless times here in the courts here, how important a victim impact statement is for a loved one when, you know, somebody has 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 died. Um, you know, it's 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 the last thing you can do for that person and I think for these families it was the last thing that they could do for their uh, little babies and and some of them were utterly, utterly heartbreaking. I mean one of the mothers you know spoke about how Lucy Letby had chosen the gown that her little child was buried uh, in. She said Lucy bathed the baby uh, an action I now deeply regret and then she dressed the baby in a woollen gown and my child was buried in that gown. The gown was a gift from the unit but it was chosen by Lucy. I feel sickened by the choice we made. Not a single day passes without distress over that decision and of course none of the families have been identified and all the babies are just uh, known by an individual letter. The the mother of murdered child C, for example, told the court that the shock and the pain of the night my baby died would stay with her forever. She said the realisation that this kind nurse who had watched over the family was actually their child's killer was like something out of a horror story. She said, I am horrified that someone so evil exists 
to you, our child's life was just collateral damage. And then the mother and father of child O and child P, these were twins who were both murdered by Letby. They spoke, they, they weren't in court, but they did a pre-recorded video uh, statement. The mother said the killer had been the last person to hold her little baby P and it, and Lucy Leppi also dressed him after he died. She described being in shock and being haunted by vivid images from that time, living in constant fear that anything would happen to her other uh, children. And then the father in that case, with his head bowed, struggling right throughout his statement, uh, said he ended up turning to alcohol after the death of his little babies. I mean, lives have absolutely been destroyed. Lucy Leppi was sentenced to life in prison without parole for her crime. Uh, the judge said that the nurse showed no remorse and showed uh, a malevolence bordering on sadism. And and that's why I... I that's why I struggle, I think, with um, Pat's comment, uh, thinking that, you know, yeah, OK, well, she may be found guilty, but guilty but insane. Like, I, I, I don't know if I'm seeing insanity. I just, it just seems to be somebody who was absolutely evil. And even the police, when they were trying to find out reasons, like why did she kill so many babies? They said they were able to, uh, unable to find a single motive for any of uh, the attacks, saying obviously their focus on been trying to provide answers to, uh, to the parents and to the families of, of the victims. But they said they don't think that they'll ever know unless she, Lucy Ledby, decides to uh, tell people. But, but But she didn't. She just absolutely didn't and, you know, went on to just claim her innocence. And then it was just, it was the absolutely showing of no remorse, I think. You know, that's where I wonder if she was insane, would she have shown some remorse if she could come and say, look, I I was going through some kind of a mental health breakdown or some kind of a... Something was going on in in my life. I didn't realise what I was doing, but the fact that she didn't even show uh, remorse and then the callous nature of not giving the families the opportunity to sit and eyeball them, you know, yesterday. Why, you know, why didn't she? You know, why didn't she sit there and listen to what the families uh, and to realise what she's done to these uh, families? To me, again, that's not insane. To me, that's just evil. Maybe that's just me. Maybe Pat is a, a more caring and sympathetic person, but I, I certainly can't see it from that side. Oh eight one eight. 103103 uh, John Paul's taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp we welcome your thoughts and comments uh, this morning to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs A concrete worker is, sorry a construction worker is wanted in Cork City you must have your own transport and your own tools uh, CVs please uh, to uh, jobs at Hamilton French dot com. The Lodge and Span in Chidani, they've got vacancies for spa therapists, receptionists, breakfast and dinner waiting staff. They're also looking for a chef and a breakfast supervisor. You can email eshepherd at inchidaniisland.com or you can call them at 022, 023 even, 882-1104. Able Minds Montessori in Grenade has an AIM support position available from September FeeTech Level 5, references and first aid required. Contact Olive on 086-0527-332. And PepsiCo in Little Island, they're currently hiring for temporary production operator panel. CVs please to pepsicojobs.com. 
You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. People with sight loss have reported injuries because of unexpected obstacles or hazards on footpaths. To discuss the survey, which was conducted by the National Council for the Blind on what needs to be done, I'm joined by Kevin Kelly, who is the National Strategic Partnership Manager with NCBI. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Patricia, and uh, to your listeners. You're very welcome uh, to the programme. What did you find to be the most common obstacles encountered either by a blind person or somebody with a vision impairment? Yeah, so this week is NCBI's annual Clear Our Paths uh, campaign. And in the run-up to the campaign, we did a snap survey of uh, people who are blind and vision impaired. And we found some uh, quite stark uh, findings where 40% of uh, people who are blind and vision impaired who were surveyed uh, reported injuring themselves as a result of uh, unexpected o- obstacles on the footpath. These include uh, cars uh, parked up on the path incorrectly, not in a parking spot or in a parking bay, overhanging benches, um, uh, dog fouling, not a very pleasant uh, topic mm. to, be, to be discussing, but um, uh, even less uh, uh, fun if you uh, stand in it. And then, of course, uh, wheelie bins is another major issue. And then, of course, I think, Patricia, previously we would have uh, discussed the, the prevalence of street furniture appearing outside businesses, uh, premises, and that can cause difficulties for people who are blind and vision if they go about their business. And what kind of injuries did some people report to you? Um, quite um, stark injuries. Uh, we had a report of uh, someone uh, breaking their ankle as a result of uh, uh, street furniture uh, not being uh, laid out uh, appropriately. We also had an incident where somebody severely sprained their ankle when they encountered a car blocking a footpath and they were left with no choice but to go out onto the roadway to continue their journey and... Um, they uh, tripped uh, ah. and fell, and that caused a, a, a serious brain. Um, there's also uh, problems with overhanging uh, branches, causing uh, cuts and gashes to people's uh, faces. I've encountered that one regularly uh, myself through someone uh, uh, who, who is blind. And all of these um, obstacles um, really have an impact on somebody who's blind and vision impaired on their confidence because. Uh, depending where you are in your sight loss uh, journey, going out and about um, is quite a challenge, as you can imagine, going out and about with uh, reduced vision or no vision uh, at all. And when you encounter these uh, obstacles, that dents your confidence, uh, and particularly if you injure yourself, it makes you less likely uh, to go out. So almost 70% of those uh, surveyed uh, said it dented their uh, confidence. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, it, it, yeah, that's that's the one that would wor- worry me the most. That you know that it might only be a, a minor injury, but you know to knock somebody's confidence that can almost take away some of their independence from them. I, I, I absolutely, uh, Patricia, uh, it takes away somebody's uh, confidence and may cause them to become socially um, isolated. And that is a problem for uh, people uh, with disabilities anyway, but. The good news is that uh, everyone uh, listening to the program uh, today can take action to help uh, improve uh, things for people who are blind. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And vision impaired by parking their car uh, properly, uh, maintaining their hedges coming out of uh, their garden, making sure that their wheelie bins are brought in promptly or when they're being left out not to be left in the center of the footpath. Those very simple actions can ha- really have a positive impact for people who are uh, blind and vision impaired and other people with uh, reduced mobility as well, it has to be uh, said. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I know any time we raise this issue and even the one with the dog fouling, yeah, you'll get uh, mothers with buggies and prams saying, you know, they, they can face some of the same, like it's not as bad, but they can face some of the same uh, problems, particularly, you know, that blocked footpath, asking a visually impaired person to move on to a road and a road that could be extremely uh, busy. That is really dangerous, um, Kevin. Absolutely, uh, really dangerous, and uh, I personally uh, experienced uh, that uh, uh, myself, and I've had some near misses as a result of having to do that. And on occasion, and I know some people who are blind and vision impaired will also do this, uh, where I would maybe wait for a couple of uh, minutes to see if somebody come back, and you could be waiting quite some time. And on a few occasions where uh, people have returned to the vehicle. Oh, I only just parked there for a second because I was running into uh, the shop. But that second, uh, <laughs> it was a long good second. And that just shows you that it's just a lack of thought and a lack, lack of thinking. Uh, so it's about opportunities like this morning on your own program to raise awareness and take that extra couple of minutes to find an appropriate uh, car parking uh, space because... You're doing it for convenience and we're all busy, but, you know, people who are blind, vision impaired or people with reduced mobility are also busy when they uh, are out and about uh, doing their uh, daily chores as well. Yeah, I'm, when, when I was teeing up earlier that you were coming on the programme, I, I remembered um, a listener who contacted us, it was a good number of years ago, as a, a gentleman who was blind living in, in Kerry, I think he was in Tralee, and he had gone out for his lunch and, you know, work, he was at work and he went out on his lunch break and the usual route to and from wherever he used to go to get his lunch. But on the way back, a truck had parked on the footpath. Of course, he didn't realise it was there. And it was that they're very large mirrors on the side of the truck. And he walked right into it face on. Uh, he hit the mirror and I mean, he gashed his face. He ended up having to get stitches and everything. But it was just and again, it was a truck driver. Oh, I was only parked there for a minute. And that just happened to the, be the minute that this gentleman was, wa- was walking by. So it's, you know, nobody does it intentionally, but all of us need to stop and think. Yeah, and if we can all act um, uh, more uh, responsibly, uh, it will have such a huge positive impact because I'm sure that gentleman that you refer to, his confidence was not, it was obviously a very sore thing to happen. Uh, He received an injury as a result of it. And one of the other uh, respondents in the survey reported to us that they were walking um, along a path in a regional uh, town where, uh, again, a work van um, had something sticking out the back of it, like a metal bar, and uh, that caused a cut on that uh, individual's uh, face as well. So this does happen. All of these things are preventable. So the message that we are trying to get across is that we all 
take a moment, act more uh, responsibly and think about everyone in our community. It can only have a huge positive impact on uh, the 55,000 people who are blind and vision impaired living in Ireland. Yeah, and and I know from my own personal, as I think I've mentioned it to you before, I have a daughter who's deaf blind. So when I'm out and I'd always be out with her, I spend my whole life with my eyes firmly on the footpath because I'm looking for the dog poo because it's the worst thing if uh, she walks into it. But I have to say the over hanging bushes and branches really, really do cause uh, a problem. Now, I'm obviously able to negotiate her around it, but I end up walking into half at the time just to keep her out of the way of it. Again, it's something that people, when you're trimming back your hedges and, you know, even in gardens, just walk out onto the footpath and take a look at how much of it is overhanging out onto the footpath. Absolutely, because I'm quite a tall uh, gentleman, so I encounter a lot of uh, overhanging uh, branches um, as I travel. And it's just taking that extra few moments to cut those uh, branches, can, because as you can imagine, and you've had personal experiences of it uh, yourself, Patricia, by the sounds of things, it is quite sore. It does lead to cuts and gashes. Uh, uh, and blood, and um, particularly uh, with the weather that we're having in Ireland this summer, I think the problem is particularly acute uh, with all of the uh, hot spells uh, in between all of the very heavy showers. It's really grow- good for uh, growing things, and uh, the, the branches are, are, are blossoming this year, but uh, the injuries uh, to people who are blind and vision impaired are also blossoming. Yeah. Okay. Listen, good luck with your Clear Our Paths campaign. And a lot of the campaign is to get people have the conversation, talk with people. If you're sitting at home this evening with the family having dinner, talk to them about this interview and just get people just a little bit of common sense. Uh, That's all uh, we're asking. Listen, uh, Kevin, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. You're welcome anytime. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Kevin Kelly, who is the National Strategic Partnership Manager with the National Council for the Blind. Okay, somebody on uh, the Rose of Trilly is still getting in a lot of texts about that and we are having problems getting through to Kate. Uh, shock and see our Cork Rose. John Paul and I trying to work on it in the background. But in the meantime, somebody says, I so agree with all of the positive reaction that you're getting this morning to last night's Rose of Trilly. I'm one of those who recently paid my TV licence, but I have to admit I rarely watch RTE. We do, however, sit down here as a family every year to watch the Rose of Trilly. The politician Regina Doherty wants the show to be transformed into a different festival. But to such naysayers, I say, go and set up your own festival and leave us at the Rose of Tralee alone. I have a big Irish international family and the Rose of Tralee very much reflects us. It is inclusive of both lassies and lads, but the roses are the limelight with the escort competition as a kind of a secondary event. As for last night, in my opinion, the unexpected star was Granny and I'm assuming that was the video clip of the Granny from the States who's well into her 90s and she's been over this since she was 18 and forever her Irish accent was as strong as the day she left. She was terrific. I'm assuming that's the one you're talking about. Thank you for that. Uh, texting 86 103 Let's stay on actually that topic of the TV licence because yesterday I mentioned that RT are pushing for a new media tax which would be used to uh, replace the TV licence. The state broadcaster also wants the revenue commissioners to be responsible for collecting it, take it away from um, uh, post. And they're saying the revenue do a really good job with collecting the local property tax. So they're saying 
introduce a new levy. People have re- spoken about it and calling it a household levy where every household in the country, regardless of whether you had a TV or not, you'd all have to pay a levy. At the moment, you only have to pay if you have a TV. Well, John in the city has contacted us and he sees a problem with that suggestion of a household levy. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Your, your problem concerns people who rent properties, landlords. Yes. Tell me how, if it's going to be on a, an individual house uh, and you have people renting the house from you, we say students or whatever, and uh, who pays the, the bill? Um, I, I take it it'll be a bit like bin charges. You'll, you'll, the person renting the house would pay it? Ah, yeah, but the, but the bin charges now would be different, to see, because you'll be putting your own individual rubbish in it and you'll be contributing to the upkeep of that. But this is a completely uh, different game. This was the brainchild of Pat Rabbit going back quite a long time it ago. It was, it was. Yeah, yeah, and Pat has sailed off into the sunset with a fine healthy pension and nothing really bothers Pat. But, but various governments and various ministers have looked at it. But well, no- it will be in- Sorry, but it will be interesting how many ministers will actually vote for it seeing that a lot of them are landlords. Not as many as a lot of them have given up being landlords, but yeah, I accept some of them are are landlords. I did see in one of the papers yesterday, you know, when you hear unnamed ministers and unnamed backbenchers, a lot of them are not in favour of it because it would be introduced next year uh, in the run-up to a general election and people would see it as political suicide. They were saying they couldn't go before the people if they'd introduce this new levy. So I, I, I don't know politically how it would work out. But I see that, I, I, but, I, but, but I know the problem you're raising. It's a little bit like the local, who pays the local property tax? Well, you see, the property tax is also an, an illegal charge. But the simple fact is people are, are on a mortgage. They don't own the property. They're renting it. Now, if you're in a rented property, like uh, from a landlord or from a county council, you don't pay property tax. And you're the same if you're on a mortgage. You don't own that property, the mortgage is discharged. So why are you paying uh, household charges for a building that belongs to uh, a lender? Mm. Because yeah. you've seen all the cases where uh, uh, solicitors and barristers have went into court and they've said, uh, uh, we're entitled to take this building back. Yeah. And that, that's even on people who have uh, paid their mortgage because they're calling in the loan, because there's equity in it. Anybody that's paying, anybody that's paying uh, household charges on a property that they own, they're crazy. But the revenue commissioners collect it and they're very successful at collecting it. Yes, but I, I know of several people who never paid it. Their mortgages uh, have been paid in full. They now have the deeds in their, in their hand. Yeah. And there's been no charges put against them and there can't be charges put against them. Yeah, but they, yeah, yeah, but you tell them wait until they try and sell that house, and they all of those charges will have, they won't be able to sell the house without paying off all of the local property tax. Yeah, but you listen that that could be dropped uh, with a, uh, a stroke of a pen by politicians who will be uh, looking for a seat. There's nothing guaranteed. In, there's nothing guaranteed yeah. in this country okay, okay. under any legislation. But back to the TV license, you would be. You say leave it as is, leave it the way it is. It's if somebody owns a TV, the person who owns but, the TV pays the TV license. But your, but your RTE were never a national broadcasting station. They were always a propaganda station for any government that was filling their coffers. Okay, well, you, you have you have you have the, the the power of the state to prosecute people because they were either poor or didn't want to pay for a television license. Now, it was brought to my attention there uh, two weeks ago about a woman with uh, 
a particular problem and uh, she had a disability and she was dragged out of her house in her pajamas and her bare feet by a member of the guard force and brought to a police station because she had no television license and it was proved uh, later that she didn't that, need a television license. Yeah, yeah, and I know the particular case and, and also the, with so many people not paying the TV license they can't haul everyone before the courts. Okay, John, I have to leave you there. Thank you for that because I'm told uh, Kate Shockensey is on the other line and I know she's, she's, she's caught up with time and other interviews. Uh, good morning to you, Kate. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, I have to say. So many listeners have been on to us this morning. We watched you with great pride last night. And I have to say, going out first on stage, were you nervous? So nervous. I've never been so nervous in my life, really. Um, I was describing it as like the worst hangover I think I've ever had. I was so <laughs> sick with nerves. But, um, it was, you know, it was a huge honour to be first as well. So, um, And I appreciate that. And it was an honour to come out with Catherine first, you know. Um, when yeah, did you just? Dis- when did you discover that you were going to be first? Sunday night. And how did uh, was that done by a draw or how do they do that? No, no, no. They, they. I suppose they choose who goes first. Okay. And um, I actually don't know exactly how it's chosen, but I, I, I imagine that they choose us. You know that kind of way. But I was told I was first anyway. And um, we were all going for dinner, and uh, all the girls, in fairness, were encouraging me. You know, they all stood and clapped and everything. So. Um, yeah, it was a huge honour. The only one thing I have to say, uh, and I watched you, and the nerves certainly didn't come across. I, th- I thought you oh. were you were very calm. Was it's over now, and you were able to enjoy the rest of last exactly, night? Exactly, and exactly, exactly. Because I think whoever's last has to sit through everybody else. Yeah. And go, oh my God, I, I still have to do it. And you yeah. had the honour as well. We were mentioning that uh, history was made by having two hosts on stage, yeah. and of course yeah. you had the honour of being uh, by interviewed by Catherine. Did she exactly. put? You, did she put you at ease? Oh, she's fantastic. She really is fantastic. And, you know, she got to know all of us so well. Um, and I've met Catherine a couple of times, like, throughout this last 10 days. So I felt really comfortable with her. I felt like she knew me. Um, so, yeah, of course, it really did put me at ease. And what has the last 10 days been like, Kate? Mental. <laughs> There's, there are no words for how crazy it's been. It's just been so fantastic. Um, like, we set off over a week ago in Wexford, we've had the most amazing seven days of a Rose tour. Um, I never expected to meet the girls that I've met and to create such a bond with them. Um, it's just been such an amazing experience. And then obviously, my parents are from Tralee, so hitting Tralee on Friday was like, it was a feeling I've never had before. Um, but I think the highlight was Saturday night. The parade through Tralee Town was just incredible. Yeah, it was, it's almost like the stuff of dreams because that it would have, that would have been princess. yeah, and that was a parade that you as a child when you went yeah. down to the Rose Tree, you would have watched all these gir- yeah. all these beautiful girls on the yeah. floor, and suddenly you're sitting there and you're one of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a full three sixty moment, as they say. But like, I just felt so so proud, and you know, like watching all my family and friends, they were at the corner of Denny Street and the roar that they gave. <laughs> um, and I know, like, my mother had tears in her eyes and everything. It was really, really, it was a really, really special, special moment for me. And I know I'll remember it forever. You will. For the rest, for the rest of your life, you'll remember Absolutely. that moment. I don't think getting married will happen. <laughs> <laughs> and and do, have you, you've had an incredible amount of support since you were selected as the Cork Rose. Oh, I have. Oh, God. Like, Cork have really got behind me. Um, you know, where I'm from and Ballon College. Um, you know, they've given me so much support, boutiques in Cork, 
Um, like all of my stuff really is sponsored. So I'm very, mm-hmm. very grateful to everyone who sponsored me to for the rose for my rose journey. It was it was just incredible. And even messages, texts. Do you know people you haven't I haven't heard from in years texting me wishing me the best of luck and that they'll be watching they'll be watching last night so it's just been incredible that's yeah. brilliant that's brilliant your dress last night it's lovely to see you come out in the in the red where did you get that dress it was beautiful so Liza in Phoenix V actually custom made oh. got the dress custom made for me uh, so I really appreciated that it was just me to tea um, like that style of dress I always you know I wouldn't have gone for the longer dress. I would have felt a bit swallowed up in it, I feel. Um, and sh- there was nothing was a problem. Um, and I went red for my county colours. So, yeah, I was delighted. Okay, so tonight you just sit in the audience, is it? And, yes. and watch the rest, okay? Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then of course, there is the final announcement. And yes. it always, any time I've ever interviewed any of the Roses, um, they always talk about making friends for life. Who have you particularly yes. bonded with? <laughs> the Wexford Rose, Brona. Yeah, she, myself, and herself. Everyone says we're the same person. Um, <laughs> we just, you know, we've really relied on each other throughout. Like I'm, I'm, you know, such good friends with all of the girls. But I suppose myself and Bona just have a a special connection. Um, yeah, she's incredible. She's incredible. And I know we'll we'll be friends for life. We really will. That's brilliant. And it and it'll be hard to get back to a normal life, won't it? Yeah, I can't this? imagine it. Yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> it. And um, we just visited a nursing home here in Tralee uh, this morning. And I was just like, I can't imagine going back to It feels like I haven't been there in ages. You know? I know, I know. Um, but I suppose I'm looking forward to reality as well. You know, yeah. Um, you can't, you can't live like this forever. I suppose either. So yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing everyone in Norwood as well. You know, I know the residents are missing me and I'm missing them of course as well. You have a great passion for your job. That was one thing that Thank really, you. really came across. Yeah. Uh, somebody says, please tell Kate that she was simply amazing last night. Very natural, very engaging. If she felt nervous, she cl- clearly challenged her nerves, channeled her nerves uh, like any great performer does. So she shunned like a bright star in her special night. Best wishes to her. That's lovely. That means, and so and, lovely. A, and a number of people have asked, did you finally pass your driving test? <laughs> I did, yeah. Oh. I passed my driving test on the fifth time. Oh. I did, yeah. So don't fear if you see me <laughs> driving around there. <laughs> I did pass eventually and I had my driving driving license for about three years okay. now. And you do know where the brake is? I do know. I do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> Just not in a go-kart. Oh. I do. <laughs> Listen, uh, Kate, you did us proud uh, last thank night. We will so have our much. fingers and toes and everything crossed for you tonight. Oh, I would so love the fact to be back on air tomorrow talking about our our, Kate, our Cork Rose, Kate Chalkensy, uh, getting the overall title of Rose of Tralee. But win, lose or draw, you're, you're a start to us, thank uh, Kate. Thank so you. enjoy the rest of it and thanks for thank joining you us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Isn't she lovely? That is our current Cork Rose, uh, Kate Chalkensy. And a lovely um, WhatsApp actually just come in saying we're all so proud of our Rose sister Kate and that comes from the Cork Rose selection uh, 2023 thank you for that okay some of your texts and calls uh, coming in lovely one in from D to say hi Patricia as someone that is visually impaired thank you for highlighting the inconvenience through the NCBI who do an amazing job helping to improve our lives on a day to day basis thank you for highlighting what can happen when people leave items that are parked 
very inconsiderately on footpaths. I too have suffered bruises and cuts, uh, etc. due to simple changes that can be made by everyone. Life can be scary enough depending on the aid of a white cane to get you around. But if everybody just did their bit, what a wonderful world we'd all live in. Thanks again, Dee. Well, delighted that we were able to do it, uh, Dee. And uh, good health uh, to you and continue going out and about with your white cane. And hopefully people listening today will just stop. Because I don't think anyone intentionally does it. You just all need, we all just need to stop and think. Baz, who signs the text from a beautiful sunny Bantry Bay. Doesn't that sound gorgeous? Patricia, it was lovely uh, to listen to you speak with Kate Chockensee, the Cork Road Rose and best of luck to her. I just hope she won't be reprimanded or have any sanctions put on her by the local council after what happened with the signs wishing her well were taken down by the said same council. It's a great time to be Irish after all, isn't it, says uh, Baz. I'd forgotten that. That happened in Manancholy, didn't it? Well, I know that the council hung on to the signs and we were telling people if you did put up one of those signs, you need to apply to the council for planning permission to erect a sign wishing our Kate the best of luck in the Rose of Chile. And John in Cove on the Rose of Chile says, I feel it's very false, the Rose of Chile, with the interviews, especially the girls who come from the States with all their wonderful Irish connections. John feels RTE's involvement in the festival isn't helping the Rose of Chile. And he doesn't elaborate as to why. I don't know why. I, I'm assuming you're saying go ahead with the festival, but don't televise it. Is that, is, is that what, what you're saying? Get back to us if, if it is, uh, John. To a different John, John O'Donovan rejoins me uh, on the programme. We spoke with him last week um, about the Late Late Show and the Late Late Show Owl. Uh, good afternoon, John. Afternoon, Patricia. You promised, you, you, just for people who didn't hear you, last week you rang RTE complaining because the new logo had come out from the Late Late Show and the owl wasn't on it. And you and a lot of people were worried that they were getting rid of the owl and you promised you'd get back if RTE get ba- got back to you. And they did get back to you, I'm told. Indeed, well, we have white smoke and it's not coming from the Vatican. It's coming from the Late Late Show office in RTE, direct from Never Fear, People of 103, our feather trend, our iconic owl of many decades is to be retained. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just not on the new logo, but it'll be in the opening sequence. That's what I, well, I said to the lady. I said, you've got a new uh, logo. She said, we have indeed. But she said the owl is also being retained. It is not going. It is still going to be an integral part of the show, which has been for many decades. We have a new logo. That's true. But the owl or feather friend, the nocturnal one, will go on and on and on. <laughs> it's been there. I think it's been there since the start. I think it was there. Well, it's, um, it's been there since Gay Burns Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They couldn't get rid of it. Even though I did see online when the new logo went up, they've erased anything to do with Ryan Tuberty. All his videos have gone down from the, I think it's from their Instagram. It's like they've erased him completely. Well, as I said to you, I think today, I know people have gone and rejoiced when they phone, look, we'll pass somebody for now, but our feathered friend, the nocturnal one, is being retained. And that's, that's all that matters. <laughs> all right, John. Thanks for <laughs> Thank that. Uh, thanks for getting back to us. Uh, John, a different John, a lot of Johns this, this programme. This is John by text. Patricia, I hear you on about RTE. We don't want RTE, according to this John. They're an expense to the taxpayer. Wait until Ryan Tuberty takes RTE to court, and I hope he does, and I hope he gets millions but guess what says John who would pay that yes the Irish taxpayer so you're wishing for the Irish taxpayers to pay him the millions John uh, is it it's a vicious circle it's money for the boys says uh, John 
and someone else then on the licence fee and should we have it, you know, a household charge instead. Somebody's in agreement uh, with that and says the new TV, TV licence payment, it should some way be incorporated into your electricity bill. The theory being you can't have a TV without electricity and therefore incorporate it into your electricity bill. God, listen, our electricity bills are high enough at the moment, but I know where you're coming from because there is a very high evasion. I think about 80% pay I think this was up to this year there's about a 20% evasion of households who do have a TV but they get away without uh, paying it so this listener is saying well one way around that would be that you would incorporate the charge for a TV licence on people's electricity bill but God knows our electricity bill is high enough as it is without uh, going down that route Uh, 0818103103 number of texts in about the case in England of the nurse uh, Lucy Letterby and she got uh, a whole life sentence yesterday and this was prompted on by one of her listeners uh, who feels the judge got it wrong and it was an insanity case is what it should have been and not found guilty of a murder. Some of your th- some of your thoughts on that. The Lucy Letby case reminds me of Molly Martins. Remember Molly, Molly Martins? Is, and she's out at the moment actually um, because she's appealing her case. Molly Martins was the Jason in Limerick. She murdered her her husband. Anyway, this texter says, both are very spoiled, blonde, blue-eyed, only daughters who expect the world to fall at their feet and in craving endless attention, allegedly, do not care what they do or did. Consequently, these women's evil, evil acts destroy families. So the sympathy of the world should rest on the innocent victims and the victims' heartbroken loved ones. May their victims and all of them little babies, I think the 11 weeks of age, was the oldest. May they all rest in peace. Elizabeth says, morning Patricia, about the Lucy Letby uh, case. I'm nearly sure that there was a show on a couple of years ago about this case. In the show, uh, there was absolutely no sign of insanity. It was just pure evil. Wanting to be acknowledged and wanting to gain notoriety. Like in the programme they showed when babies were dying and they were dying because she had injected them with something. She'd start screaming and roaring for a doctor and when he or she, the doctor, got there, the murderer would then be trying desperately to resuscitate the baby and making her look like, look, she was the superhero. It was unbelievable and uh, horrific, said uh, Elizabeth. And again, she showed no remorse in court either. Esther says, Patricia, regarding the nurse, one bad egg, evil is the only word. I can't feel any sympathy for her. Her toughness proved that by her absence, by not going into court yesterday. That's from Esther. And Jason agrees with me that rather than it being um, insanity that it's just as evil and unfortunately they're evil in the world if Jason had his way she'd be sent to America where she would face the death penalty yeah and I'm wondering actually that's an interesting point uh, Jason if that had been an American case she probably would have got the death penalty they just don't have the death penalty in the UK and she instead got this whole of life sentence but Pat has come back to us Pat was the one who kicked this all off um, and said that uh, people can't have it both ways she's either insane or she isn't and if she is insane which Pat thinks she is then she isn't guilty of murder and it goes without saying that anyone could do what she done is insane so Pat very much sticking to his gun and believing that the the wrong result yesterday she should have been found so sorry I misinterpreted your original text uh, Pat I thought it was guilty but insane insane Pat thinks that the 
only uh, the, the result should have been that she was simply found insane so therefore couldn't be guilty of murder. Well, we do have people found guilty but gu- guilty but insane but you're, you're saying no, you're saying she isn't guilty of murder so would she be guilty of manslaughter then? I mean, these, these children did die even on your line of thinking and if you do believe that she is insane you can't just say that she's innocent that just because she is insane surely it's, it's guilty but insane going on your theory but as I say, nobody else on listening to this programme today, agreeing with you, people just seeing somebody who's been very, very, very evil and what she's done and what she has left behind is just truly, truly tragic. And then on overgrown hedges, Paddy from Johnstown and Kilmichael says, in relation to overgrown hedges, I have broken a mirror and two lights on that very road that you highlighted recently. I've been advised that the costs should be recovered by the owner of the overhanging bushes. Is that correct? Get on to your council. Now, you'll need the evidence that it happened there and you need photographic evidence and all of that. But if you can answer your local council, they certainly will tell you if you're entitled to claim or not. And Heidi said, listening to your show again, Patricia, once again, the topic of overgrown hedges. I recently sent you photographs of said same hedges where we live in West Cork. It really is a huge huge problem uh, as our roads are simply not wide enough. We have to remember that most of those roads were built at a time when it was for a horse and cart. It was never designed to have two cars, one coming each way. We all pay our taxes but as Deputy Michael Collins more or less said at the weekend on uh, a news bulletin, we are always short-changed when it comes to roads and we certainly are short-changed when it comes to roads in Cork because we have the largest network but we never get the largest bulk of money. You've got counties that are much smaller than us getting much higher you know, proportion of roads. They get a much higher breakdown of the money that's available for roads than we get here in Cork and it's always very, very frustrating and indeed very frustrating for our elected representatives in particular. It's very frustrating frustrating for our councillors who are getting it left, right and centre from their constituents trying to say will you do something with our roads? 0818 103103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The Lambertstown Five Mile Roadways, that's in association with Mount Hillary Athletic Club, that's taking place this Thursday, half past seven. Now it'll start and finish at Crowley's Bar in Gertrude with a registration fee of 15 uh, euro. Formoy Rugby Rugby Football Club. They've got a car boot sale happening next Saturday from 7am to 2pm. It's to raise funds for new lights. The rugby grounds all are very welcome. And the lads from the 4 to 8 club in Dunamore, they're climbing Coron Tool this Saturday. It's in aid of Ark House Cancer Support Centre in Cork. You can donate through their idonate.ie forward slash fundraiser club 428 uh, Dunamore and Cullen and District Special Needs their annual vintage afternoon is happening next Sunday in Cullen GAA grounds 
vintage display live music with Peter Lane and the Cullen Pipe Band. There'll be balloon artist Kenny the Clown, Travelling Forge and Blacksmith displays, the usual children's games and sports. It is fun for all the family. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. And joining me now on the programme is uh, Padraig Cooley, who is the sightings officer with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Grouping uh, Group. And he joins me because there's been an unusual sighting uh, in Bantry Bay over the past uh, few days. Good afternoon to you, Porrick. Good afternoon. Now, there's been interesting whales that we don't normally see in our waters. Tell me what you've spotted. Yeah, on Saturday, which was actually Whale Watch Day, All-Ireland Whale Watch Day, the event, which was kind of, it was a bit of a washout, really, with all the, with Storm Betty that had just passed through. So most events, you know, around the country never really, never really happened because the weather was awful. But while we were cancelling land-based whale watches as part of All-Ireland Whale Watch Day, there was an interesting event taking place uh, just off um, sort of in Ballylicky, Little Inlet there in Bantry Bay by Eagle Point uh, campsite where a lot of people from Cork will be familiar with um, and it was um, of, of Wales people didn't really know what they were uh, and they were sort of invariably reported to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group as pilot whales but then the following morning they were still there and you know the videos and the images started coming through and we were looking at going there well they're definitely not pilot whales so uh, yeah it turned out that they were northern bottlenose whales and not to be confused with bottlenose dolphins which are, are a dolphin species that people are probably more familiar with but the these northern bottlenose whales live out in uh, in open Atlantic, and their preferred habitat would be very, very deep um, canyon systems in the Atlantic that drop down to thousands of meters of depth. So these are a real deep diving specialist. Uh, you know, I've been whale watching in Ireland for thirty years and working with IWDJ, and I've only seen them on a tiny handful of occasions. And they're often associated with stranding events because when you get to see this, you know, this, you know, deep diving species in coastal or shallow waters there's always a bit of a concern that they you know they may be in some difficulty or that they may strand now they don't always strand but so we're just keeping a watching brief on it at the moment and you know if if people want to go on to the IWDG Facebook page and just look at you know the videos that are being sent to us by people from there they are absolutely jaw-dropping because on occasion they're coming quite close to shore like within a couple of hundred meters and uh, and they're they're breaching spectacularly they're slapping their tails. I mean, and all the time, even though it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing uh, event to observe. You're always in the back of our heads, going, "God, we hope to God these whales get out of Bantry Bay. You know, leave the immediate inlet where they are. Get out into yeah, open bay." Yeah, I was just when you, when you were saying how close they're coming, I just went through my mind. Is is that too close for your liking? Well, well, anywhere within 100 kilometres is too close for our liking. So it's not just the fact that they're within 100 metres of shore. It's the fact that they're within 100 kilometres of our shore. Never mind the fact that they're you know, just breaching off the seaweed on the rocks, you know. So, yeah, everything about this concerns us. Uh, but, like, even if they do get out into open Bantry Bay, there's still no habitat for them here. There's no food for them here. These are a whale that, that are designed to dive to death routinely of over 1,005 metres. So, you know, these whales, even in the 
the deepest part of Bantry Bay, which is an, it's one of the deepest natural uh, harbours in Europe. And that's why you've got Whitty there, extremely deep, but it's still not nearly deep enough and there's no food for them in places like Bantry Bay. Uh, they feed on the likes of really big deep diving squid and the like. So, yeah, we are concerned about every aspect of this, but as usual, you know, it's still a great event. It's still something that, you know, for people who are interested in natural history, wildlife, who love whale watching, they should try to get down to that area and and, 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 and have witness a look. Them. Would, would Storm Betty have anything to have done with them coming yeah, out? Pete, it's a good question. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I find it hard to imagine that healthy whales would be impacted by a storm. Remember, it's only storming on the surface. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could add a couple of meters, and that storm ceases to exist. The, the, you know, so uh, so healthy animals probably aren't. I mean, I, I you know, you, we just don't know what's brought them in. Of course, always in the back of our minds, you're looking at, you know, you know, the usual suspects of, you know, has something happened acoustically to affect uh, their ability to echolocate and to navigate. And this event is not, it, it, you know, is not an isolated event because a couple of days earlier we had northern bottlenose whales that may well be the same individuals off the Great Blaskets and Kerry, but more worryingly in West Sussex and England at the same time, uh, one live stranded and died and was nah. buried just the day before yesterday. There have been a couple up and last week up on the Isle of Skye. So we're beginning to, you know, working with our overseas partners, beginning to put together a picture that's telling us that this is not an isolated incident. Up to the Faroes, Scotland, the south coast of England and now West Cork and Kerry. There's something happening out there. We don't know what it is and it's dangerous to speculate, but something is causing this uh, this this rare species of deep diving whale to turn up at multiple sites around, if you like, the British Isles and further north. So we are just a little bit concerned that, you know, it may, it, you know, it's quite likely something anthropogenic, something man-made out there is happening that these whales don't like and that they may well be compromised. But when you look at the, I mean, we, we're always optimists by nature and you look at the behavior, they're, they're vibrant, they're active. There's great energy off these whales. So to me, they don't. Whales always have a look about them when they're in trouble. They they look lethargic. They look like you know they they're not swimming regularly. They're you know everything about them is sluggish, and you just kind of know this whale is in trouble and it's going to strand. Uh, everything about these whales is telling me something different. And we have seen these events before or similar events where this species has come in. I remember in 2005 we had the same species come into Pulleen Harbour uh, on the. Uh, further out of Bantry Bay and it stayed in there for five days and it was behaved just the same and it left presumably and you know we were watching out for a stranded animal and it never stranded so they don't always live strand so fingers crossed these that animals is, make that are back. putting on such an amazing show that they make it back out of Bantry and way way offshore Into where they belong. Water. Okay and before I let you go I have to ask you about the front page of the Irish Examiner uh, today and uh, something fishy about beach whale boats this is this turn up in where did it it turned up after storm Betty it's Barley Cove Cove. okay Mm. a a nearly intact whale skeleton 
Yeah, there's something very strange about this. I mean, that whale just didn't wash up as a result of a storm. I mean, that whale has been laid out by 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 a person who knows whale anatomy, I would say. So, you know, the vertebrae are all exactly in order. The skull is where it should be, the scapula, everything. And then even the ribs have been laid out uh, sort of in, in sequence. So this isn't something that's randomly just washed up on the beach after a storm. I, I, I know other people have said that it is, but sorry, it isn't. <laughs> um, sort of, we, we, we know a skeleton and it's a wonderful work uh, whoever has done it like let, let's let's take it and, and put it up somewhere because you know you could almost hang this thing suspended now as a museum piece for everybody could see it because if it stays where it is it's like the next big high tide or next storm is going to wash it back out. out to sea yeah yeah <laughs> and it just suddenly appeared after storm betty laid out perfectly yeah, well, to, to us it looks based on my, one of my colleagues who knows more about skull characteristics than I do says he's reasonably happy that this one is a pilot whale. Um, it looks like it's about 15 to 20 foot long, uh, a long fin pilot whale. But yeah, somebody's done a great job uh, on reconstructing it. So it is quite likely that this was a regular pilot whale that just washed in, that stranded and somebody had it buried somewhere nearby and they maybe just dug it out again. And what they've got is this perfectly retrieved skeleton which is what I've been saying for years. It's always a great opportunity when whales strand, rather than just the local council coming and burying them. It's such a wasted resource. Mm. It's great when you can preserve these and show them, educate the next generation. It ticks a tourism box. It ticks a biodiversity box, a, a conservation box, education. It's a wonderful thing to do. So so whoever is doing this, let's go and do something constructive with this animal <laughs> and get it in a place where everyone can see it. Well said. Listen, Porrick, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Okay. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon to you. That is uh, uh, Padraig Cooley, uh, sightings officer with the Irish Whale and Dolphin uh, Group. Go on, they have a great uh, website. And if you're anywhere around Barley Cove, you can go down and see it's six metre long skeleton remains. It's in the tidal channel, which runs behind Barley uh, Cove Beach near Goleen. And it just suddenly appeared after Storm Betty on Saturday. Does anybody know who placed it there? Was it placed there? And who was it done by? Oh. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And just as the sun starts to come out, it's great when we see a little bit of of, uh, sunshine. Okay, this is an anxious week for a a number of people because it's Leaving Cert Results Day this uh, Friday. Now, it can be an anxious time, obviously, for the students, but it can be anxious for the parents as well, Joe. Absolutely, because, you know, parents want their children to do well and, um, you know, and in a way then that very fact coming from a place of love have puts pressure on the person uh, waiting for his or her results because, um, you know, they don't want to disappoint. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of all pressure. And of course, maybe maybe the leaving cert in Ireland is oh, a watershed moment in life. And um, you know, do we attach too much to the academic um, uh, side of it? Um, uh, you know, would people be kind of going into uh, areas in life that uh, they mightn't? Um, you know, be suited for at all just because they got so many those points. Marks. Yeah, yeah. Those points, and, and, yeah, and you know, we say it every year, and we try and get the message out every year. 
to students, you know, you're, you're not defined by this one piece of paper with your results on it. And I know that's a hard message to get across uh, to people, particularly young people who are very focused on a particular career. But there's so many other ways of getting to that career, if that is what you really, really want. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the first and obvious one, I suppose, like, but it mightn't suit a lot of people because it means putting plans on hold would be you can repeat the leaving set. Um, another thing you can do is um, you can have, uh, if you were a near miss for what you wanted to do, you can have it checked out. Um, you know, you could check um, if it's colleges. And I want to stress that um, I, I have um, really, really uh, top respect, absolutely, for apprenticeships. Um, so if I... If I sound like that I'm focusing a lot on, on, on college futures, it's just because that would be, I think, um, uh, maybe the majority of people waiting for their results. Like, what will I get? Will I get the points for my course? So um, you, could, uh, you can look at colleges abroad and see, um, do, do, um, do they offer the course you want? And... Would you have the um, requirements uh, to do it there? I remember um, if it's any of the EU countries, your Susie grants can go with you if you, if you do go abroad. That there there are, and and of course, you know, going straight from school into college, as you say, isn't always the route. You, you people do. Um, post leaving cert courses and you know our career guidance um, expert who, who regularly joins us on the programme will often say that can also be a route into college it oh, might, be, might be kind of going through the back door but you will eventually get to where you mightn't yeah. get to on Friday but you'll get there another way yeah yeah um, the thing about it is that um, I remember one of our lads now um, uh, he went to uh, CSN and um, did a PLC and then he went on to do what he wanted to do. Um, oh, yeah, and the PLC courses, are they're great. And I suppose, in a way, Patricia, they're a sort of a buffer between uh, secondary school and the next stage of one's life. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, one thing we're always pushing, because there's so many jobs available, apprenticeships. Give, oh, apprenticeships, give absolutely. Appren- and give them really, really serious consideration. Oh, definitely. And if a person is wondering about a career and um, and and that, um, uh, one would be advised to look very strongly at those because, um, you know, there's such a shortage um, of skilled uh, tradesmen of all sorts of um, uh, skills in, in the country, whereas... Um, you know, there are an awful lot of people with degrees um, who who can, <coughs> I beg your pardon, sorry, who can find a job. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, and then back to back to Friday, I suppose. The, the first thing is when you get the results is don't panic. If, if you're not seeing, particularly if you're not seeing the points that you want. Absolutely. And um, yeah, yeah. So kind of like calmly think, what are my options? Now, we've mentioned quite a few of them, but um, the, um, the Institute of um, uh, Guidance Counselors uh, in Ireland um, have a helpline, 
Um, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll call out the number in one eight hundred two six five one six five. That's one eight hundred two six five one six five. And there will be members of that uh, Institute of Guidance Councils there available, and they will give one to one advice. And the helpline will be um, uh, available from the twenty fifth of August. Uh, until the 2nd of September. So that's um, a resource that, that, that should definitely be used without yeah, question. Yeah, and and many of the schools will have career guidance teachers and they'll be available as well because I know some people opt to get their results on online. I think sometimes going into the school, the teachers yeah. will be there, career guidance teachers will be there. And it's just, I think, just in case that they don't get um, exactly what they want. And then in the meantime, between now and the results day on uh, Friday, Joe, to try and stay as relaxed as you can. Yeah. Yeah, um, um, uh, friends in your own school and um, relatives who might be in other schools who are in the same boat um, waiting for their results, um, ha- have a chat with them, you know, talk to them. Just say, I'm up the bloody creek this week waiting for these um, results. And the other person will say, join the club, um, I- I'm in the same boat, you know. Um, and that helps. It helps to share. It, it, it definitely helps to talk. So um, also, uh, when one is um, really stressed, stressed, um, there's a, there's a spoon out, which is um, an online platform for uh, supporting younger people with uh, with you know mental health issues, which would include um, anxiety. So um, uh, now, typically for young people, it would be there's a chat service and there's um, there's a text number, and it's um, five zero eight zero eight. That's five o eight o eight. Um, and uh, there are trained people there who who will who will be reach uh, out support. Yeah, 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 reach out yeah. and talk. And and for the parents to just try and keep the house as calm as possible. Absolutely, uh, to not to add to the stress, you know, um, to to try and keep it as, um, uh, as as downplayed as possible. Like some of the things we mentioned there, like the the pressure from family or teachers who expect you to get good results. Well, that's coming from a good place. It's coming from they want you to do well, but that very um, fact uh, puts pressure on one of wanting to live up to that, uh, to uh, to live up to the expectations of others. So we we need to do, uh, we need to understand that, um, you know, uh, some people will do very well, some people will do not as well as they wanted to, but uh, resist comparing yourself to other people. I mean... If you get your results and somebody else says they got um, this and, 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 and it sounds um, uh, maybe uh, higher uh, points and all that, just understand it. I mean, some people are good at football, other people aren't. Um, some people are good at A, B or C and another person is good at D, E, F. So, like, um, 
you know, as you said at the start, and, and it's a very important sentence of this, like, your exam results do not underline you, as um, uh, define you as a person. Yeah. They, and, they and, you know, and I think for parents to just get the message across that regardless of the result, you're still going to love your son or daughter. Nothing's going to change in how you feel about them, regardless of what happens with that result on uh, Friday. OK, listen, Joe, we leave it there. Have a great week. And uh, we wish Thank every all of the Leaving Cert students the very best of luck uh, yes, with the results. Yes, best of luck to everyone. OK, have a lovely week. We'll talk next Tuesday, Joe. Thank you for that. Thanks. For sure. And uh, Joe can be contacted. He runs a counselling practice in Boerbui, 86 8348145 Some of your texts coming in uh, Somebody who joined the programme this morning Thank you for that Just wondering What time does Rajita Adelecki um, what, do, when, what time is her race on tomorrow? I've just checked It's Wednesday The final is at 8.35pm So 25 to 9 uh, Tomorrow at night And we wish her all the best um, she, uh, she gave me a bit of heart attack yesterday Watching her I thought she was too slow Out of the blocks but her sprint at the end is incredible and of course she got into second place and that is fine that was enough to get her into the final tomorrow night so 8 at 35. Hi Patricia on that road that you have been highlighting this morning um, two of my staff are actually in fear of driving around some of the dangerous bends and bushes on that road from Cool Mountain to Inchigila. Gila. I now have to do those deliveries myself because my staff are so much in fear. So as a business person, I would be delighted to see the council take action. Thank you for highlighting what is a serious situation. And that comes in from Tom in Dumamwe. Thank you for that, uh, Tom. And then the NCTS, we brought this up yesterday. Uh, we discovered, it was one of our listeners actually, while we were on air, sent us on a clip that had been posted up on NCT, National Car Testing Services, on their Facebook or Instagram uh, pages saying that in the coming months, they're refusing to take cash payments you're going to have to do it by card are you going to have to do it by a postal order now I know I was talking to John Paul in the office and we're hoping or before we came on air we're hoping tomorrow to have something on the programme because it's, again it's to do with going cashless even though we did get a statement from NCT and rather than it, obviously it, it's going uh, cashless and it's not just a security reason they say it's a lot to do with the no-shows so what's now happening is as soon as you book your NCT the money comes out of your account for a number of months, they are still allowing you not to pay by cash, but you can bring a postal order with you. But as I say, it's, it is again all leading to the issue of uh, going to a cashless society, which doesn't work with uh, everyone. So we are going to be hopefully looking at that uh, in more detail tomorrow. But they have changed the system now when you book. And if you do put in a credit or a debit card, the money comes out immediately, whereas previously you went and did your test and it was on the day you did your test that the money came out but it's to try to stop uh, the no-shows but as I say you will still have the option of getting a postal order but I did hear from somebody yesterday who is in their 20s who asked what's a postal order? That's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we are going to be back with you uh, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and tomorrow being Wednesday that means Peter Dowdle will be joining us if you've got any gardening questions Peter will look after them tomorrow talk to you tomorrow at 10 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie